All right. Thank you so much, Matt. And I can testify to the fact that Katie was, in fact, dabbing in the background. So he didn't make that up. Um, so uh, tonight, I get the privilege of kicking off our new series here at Challenge Worship Night. We are going through what is actually the longest recorded sermon of Jesus' in the Bible, and probably his most well-known as well. It is the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to be covering this over a total of four Challenge Worship Nights. I'm just covering the first section, verses 1 through 26. So I want to start tonight with a confession. I grew up watching the reality television series Survivor. It's taken me a long time to be able to admit that to people publicly, but um, I've been working up to this moment for a while, so I just want to make sure uh, you know how serious that is. And hopefully you know the premise of the show, because I'm not going to explain it to you right now. Uh, but I remember there was a season watching this when I was, uh, I think it was probably in junior high around that age, still going by the way, is it, is it not? It's in its 700th season approximately. And, um, in this, in this one season I remember watching, uh, there was, there was a woman on it who was outspokenly Christian and she always talked about God and she simultaneously would like gossip behind people's backs all the time and just had a life. She lived out her life on the reality television show in a way that was very contradictory to how the Bible says you should live your life. And it was this like confusing thing for me, honestly, as a, as a junior higher, having, uh, I was going to church at the time and I had grown up, grown up going to church and it was confusing to be watching this woman be so outspoken about God and yet live her life in a way that contradicted how he said you should live your life. And it really led up to this culminating point in the season when she just blatantly like backstabbed her friends on the show and she like she had an alliance with them right and she'd promised she's going to vote with them and she plotted to go against them and just they showed several clips of her just looking them straight in the eyeballs and saying I, I promise you yes I'm with you I'm going to vote with you tonight and then she would she voted against them and, and uh, betrayed them all and in being interviewed about how she could so blatantly lie to and backstab her, her friends on the show like that, she said something along the lines of this. I don't have the exact quote, um, but she said something to the extent of, well, I know Jesus forgives me for my sins, so I don't have to worry about lying. And I remember, this is, I won't comment on how many years ago this was. It was quite a few years ago that I watched this, and that I can picture the scene that happened. I haven't seen, I saw it once in my life, and I haven't seen it since, and it's stuck in my memory ever since that moment, because I was struck by how uh, duplicitous she was living her life, uh, and this was present throughout the show, and it came to this culminating point, and, and it was really striking to me, and it was interesting, because just earlier this year, I actually found out that there's a theological term for her belief. I had no idea. It's called antinomianism. So antinomianism, that because of God's grace that he poured out on us through Jesus dying for our sins on the cross, we can now dismiss the moral teachings of the Bible where God tells us how he thinks we should and shouldn't live. Now I'm going to be touching, I'm going to be talking about this more, but I want to take a quick sidebar right now because I'm going to be talking about what the Bible says about how we should live and the law and some things like that. But I have to clarify this or else it's possible you could leave tonight with a devastating biblical misunderstanding. 
And what you have to know is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for the sins of everyone. Earn your way to God by going to church or being a good person uh, or having the good you do in life outweigh the bad. Um, that's not how it works. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I just want to touch on that really briefly because that is absolutely true. The only way that we get to be close and have a relationship with God is by grace through faith. It's through Jesus Christ that we're able to do that. So back to antinomianism. And I know uh, some of you who are listening right now like may have bought into this belief more than others. You probably didn't have that term to recognize it, but you might have, or you may still currently truly believe uh, in antinomianism. But I would argue that on a pragmatic level, all of us practice antinomianism to some degree in our life. Like when we read the Bible or listen to a sermon that really convicts us, and then we walk away completely unchanged in how we actually practically live our life, we are a practicing antinomian at that moment, right? God, the, what God's Bible says, what God's word says about how we should be living our life has no actual practical effect on our life like it should. So this is where we're going to jump into the Sermon on the Mount. And like I said, I'm covering verses 1 through 26 tonight, but I'm actually going to start with verses 17 through 20. And I'm going to talk about those, and then I'm going to jump back to the beginning and then work my way back through it. So go, jumping in at verse 20, 17, it says, Do not think that I have come to a... Jesus Jesus talking, by the way. little uh, context there. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it is accomplished, until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teachings and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So first up, Jesus did not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but to fulfill them. Now, Jesus is literally talking about this whopper of a statement that he's making. He's saying all of the Old Testament was pointing to him. So that's just a, it's a pretty bold statement right there that he's making. He's claiming about himself. Um, so don't, don't let the gravity of that just pass because it didn't for the people he was speaking to. They knew what he was saying in that moment. And then next, Jesus clarifies that he is not trying to give people an excuse to ignore how the Bible said that they should be living their life. Then Jesus says that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you've ever heard a message or even read much of the New Testament uh, where it talks about the Pharisees, uh, just so you know, they're the bad guys, right? Like, you know, if you've ever heard a message that talks about them, like they're the bad guys of the New Testament. They were some of the key players in getting Jesus killed. Um, so that's who he's talking about there. They hadn't done it yet at this point, but those are the same people he is ref he's referring to. Another interest, we're obsessed with following the Old Testament law. So why would Jesus tell us 
to be more righteous than them. Is the point he's making that we need to live life in this comparison game between us and others? Like, no, no, that's not what he's saying here. He is highlighting the fact that biblical righteousness is very different from the image game those religious figureheads were playing. In fact, in the next chapter, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So in the next chunk of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it breaks, Jesus breaks down specific areas of the law where people were just legit like missing the point. Uh, of why God had given him these commands in the first place. And I'm going to be touching on one of those at the very end, uh, and then the rest fall outside of my jurisdiction of what I'm talking about tonight. Um, so I'm going to leave those for whoever's speaking next week. Um, but right now, I'm going to jump back up to the beginning of the chapter, where Jesus had opened his Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. This is just a list of characteristics of people whom God blesses. So going at verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. All of these are deep-rooted areas of godly character, which stood in stark contrast to the outward image focus of the Pharisees. And then next, Jesus tells us that those who know God are intended to be salt and light to those who do not know God. People are literally supposed to be able to see a difference between the way we live our lives and how other people are living their lives. And after they have an interaction with us, they should have a flavor for what God is like. I don't know about you. That's a really challenging statement for me. Let's look at exactly what Jesus said here. We're jumping. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So since I talked about this out of order, uh, I'm going to give a very simple sum up of what I, we've covered so far in verses 1 through 20. God blesses those who live their lives out of biblical values. Those same people who know God are not to try and live comfortable inward focused lives where they're just trying to gather up all of God's blessings for themselves, but they are blessed to be a blessing to others. 
Then comes all the clarification about the law that we already covered, and all this leads up to a list, like I mentioned, of very practical areas of life where it should be culminating and playing out in the daily life of a follower of Christ. So here's where I'm going to wrap up for tonight. I'm only covering the first practical idea on the list, so you'll have to wait until next week to hear the rest of them. Or you could read your Bible between now and then and get a, get a head start for yourself. Uh, so looking at verse 23, uh, Jesus says, So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to court going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you, uh, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Followers of Christ must clear up their relationships. Jesus communicates about this so severely in this passage. He says, if while you're going to offer a gift to God, in an act of worship, and you remember that there's somebody who has something against you, like stop doing this, stop pursuing worshiping God in that moment and go and be reconciled with your brother or sister in Christ. Go clear up that relationship with them. Our relationship with God cannot be clear if our relationship with the people he has called us to love is not clear. Given the emphasis that Christ put on this point, uh, I wanted to have this as my single application for us to all consider tonight. I challenge you to take five minutes after uh, Challenge Worship Night is over to reveal to you if you have any relationships that you need to clear up. If there's anybody who you think might have something against you and to go clear that up. Consider honestly if someone has something against you, if you've wronged them in some way, and then take practical steps to clear it up with them. And your first practical step might be asking advice from somebody who is wiser than you on how to go about doing that. Because I've seen people with good and bad motives sometimes attempt to clear up a relationship and muddy it more in the process because they didn't go, go about it in a wise way. Uh, so that could very well be your, your next step uh, if this is something that God is convicting you with, is just going and getting some advice from somebody wise than you on how to clear up relationship in a wise, God-honoring way. And let's all keep in mind the next time that we know someone has something against us. Now we know this, right? We've, we've read this in the Bible. We know this to be true now. So let's not be antinomians, right? Next time that we, we know someone has something against us, let's be quick to take God seriously and, and obey his word and trust him that when he gives us things like this, it's not because he's power tripping and trying to control our lives. He's trying to help us to live life to the fullest, to live the best life that we can. Let's take him seriously and love be Jesus by trusting him enough to take him at his word. I hope this has been helpful to you in clearing up why we believe it's important to follow God's word uh, with how we live and specifically drawing attention to our need to strive to be peacemakers in our relationships with others uh, if we want to have a close relationship with God, at least. And I just want to uh, wrap up briefly by just revisiting what I did at the beginning and saying that the Christian faith is so much more than law. It's so much more than a list of rules 
than uh, a man-made religion in an attempt to get to God. The Christian faith is faith that Jesus Christ came to us. It goes so far deeper and so much further than a simple set of rules. It's knowing God personally and being so affected by that relationship that that branches out into our relationships with others and affects those in a way that blesses their lives and brings more value to their lives. And in doing so, really blesses us as well. So I, I, uh, that's all I have for us tonight. I'd like to close with a word of prayer. Dear God, I thank you so, so much for caring enough for us that you sent your son Jesus to die for us, God, and you gave us your word to give us a, a guide for how to go about life in the best way possible. I thank you so much for using it to have changed my life so much. And I thank you for the blessing that you've given me in seeing your word change other people's lives as well, God. Pray that every single person listening right now will be deeply affected by your word, God, and deeply affected by having a close relationship with Jesus, God. And that would affect them to the extent that their life is now a light to the people all around them. Amen.